This is Paul Panic coming to you from Burn Knives, introducing to you the Bladeology Podcast. jump into it like we do every week welcome to another episode of the bladeology podcast this is going to be episode 38 tonight we are on with our original host lineup and we do have a guest this is the vocal representation of jeremiah burbank from pvk vegas nick chuprin of ncc knives elijah malaise of Asian blade works great and we are on tonight with Les Adams, thank you so much for for coming on and talking with us tonight. Thanks for the invite. This, this is going to be fun. I've I've been looking forward to this for for a while. Uh, we we've been talking, we've seen each other at some shows, and uh, and you make a very a very particular and a very cool carbon fiber knife, which I'm looking to get into the details tonight with you. So let's do it. Um, so how how did you get into knives? How did you get into knife making? When did it all begin? Well, I think the best uh, explanation of that was I went by a store one day that had a magazine rack, and it was the old Blade magazines, I guess. I'm not really sure what uh, what they were back then. It wasn't, uh, it might have been Blade, Knife Makers magazine or something, and I saw something on the front of it, and it just looked very enticing. And um, I went to a, a knife show, a local knife show, um, in uh, in Miami where uh, I lived and um, saw it and it was just it was mesmerizing. Um, it was just fascinating that people could do that with their hands, you know. And uh, I said, uh, let me give it a try, and I did. I invested in some equipment. I never really had any help. There was not anybody in the area really to mentor or anything at the time. And um, uh, then uh, I heard about the Knife Makers Guild. And they had a big show. A lot, they were doing a lot of the shows in Orlando. Now we're talking, we're talking, almost thirty years ago. And uh, so I said, you know, I'm going to run up there and see this. And uh, I did. And I started looking at the knives and everything. And I started talking to some of the guild members, and uh, they were very, very encouraging, and and helped me out. So one of them took me around and showed me some materials that would be uh, be good to start with, and and I did. And I did that for about two years, I guess, and um, then took my work to one of the guild shows and uh, uh, went around to a number of the members. At that time, uh, you would take your work to four different members, who, or, or at least four members that would ex- ex- inspect it, and then sign off on your application, and that was the process. At that time, the guild had, oh, probably between three and 400 members. Um, at any rate, uh, I did. I got my signatures, and it was two years before I could even get a table as a probationary member. And f- finally did, and uh, passed my probationary. And then you waited three years uh, at doing shows. You did three years worth of shows, and then if your work was up to par, you were voted in as a voting member. And that's basically uh, how I I started with it. I was voted in as a, a voting member of the guild in 1996. So I guess I'm coming up on about 25 years. Um, 
So it's just a, a fantastic organization, uh, just a, a, a great group of people that uh, the knowledge base is phenomenal, and there's no shortage of giving, if you understand what I mean. Oh, that's, that's you know, that's that's awesome. You know, I've always, I've always hoped to hear things like that uh, about the guild. So now you're saying that you brought your knife around to to four guild members. You, you, do you remember who those who those four members were by any chance? You know, that was 25 years was, ago. Uh, the, I know Bill DeFriest was one of them. Frank Sintafonte was one of them. Um, and uh, um, uh, a female that's since passed away, I don't remember her name. Uh, Steve Hill, I believe. Signed, yeah, I think Steve Hill signed off on my application. Uh, Buster, Buster Warinsky, uh, he, he's passed away now. Um, all uh, all those names are, you know, they're Hall of Famers now, a lot of them. Uh, they're just tremendous people. And uh, I guess the, I guess the most uh, important thing to me was uh, they, they, they weren't condescending. Uh, they were very uh, um, uh, objective about the knives, uh, constructive criticism that didn't beat you down. And that, that's, what, that's what's good about the Guild, the guys, you know, that come around it maybe have a problem with the grind one way or another, to be glad to point it out to them without making you feel like, hey, you know, you might as well give up. Uh, so that's that's what I tell everybody. I'm uh, I'm on the uh, technical committee. Uh, I'm on the board now of the Guild and uh, in charge of membership. And um, uh, I have a technical committee of uh, uh, four, four gentlemen. And... Uh, when the probationary members of the voting members come through to have their work inspected, uh, very, uh, very objective with them, um, and uh, they walk away with a good feeling knowing that they can, they can accomplish what they're there for. Oh, that's cool. All right. So it was, uh, it was, it was 25 years ago, and, and what were you doing full-time for work at that time? Well, that's a funny... <laughs> I um I graduated from Penn State. Uh, both my wife and I graduated from Penn State. I graduated with a pre med degree, and uh, at that time it was almost impossible to get in med school unless you. It was the Vietnam era, and uh, it was almost impossible to get in med school unless your father was a doctor or somebody donated a hospital wing. You know. So it it, uh, it was rough. I had a pretty uh, good background in geology. And when I left, um, I went to work. I went back to school uh, and got a what's known as a, 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 a graduate degree from the Gemological Institute of America. Uh, if you're in the jewelry business, you understand that term. If you're not, it might be a little vague, but it's, uh, it's a rating. It's a, a, a certification that... Um, uh, it would be comparable to a, in the jewelry industry to a law degree from Harvard. You could go just about anywhere. So I opened up, I, I started running some jewelry stores. I, I ran um, uh, three different jewelry stores and uh, uh, got uh, really involved in that, in cutting stones and that type of thing, which I incorporated in some, uh, some of the knife work. Um, I did well enough to to move the business down to Miami, Florida, uh, and um, worked with a, a, a jewelry at a diamond house. 
And with that degree, one of the main things you do with Gemological Institute of America degree is you do a lot of appraisal work. And I started doing a lot of appraisal work for government agencies like the FBI on big jewelry heists. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's actually um, pretty cool. Yeah, it was. I met a lot of interesting people in law enforcement, and I was raised uh, on the water a lot. Uh, my my father had a large boat. Uh, they moved away, and, and uh, I, I used it a lot. And, and anyway, um, uh, I felt very comfortable on the water. I also hunted a whole lot, so I was comfortable around, uh, around guns. And at this time in uh, in Miami, that was like 1979 or so, that's when all the drugs were coming in. Uh, you had government cut there, and it was just a, a highway for uh, drugs coming across from the Bahamas and, and South America even. At any rate, I saw this ad in the paper that mentioned... Uh, they needed, they needed uh, auxiliary officers for the Florida Marine Patrol. Hmm. And I said, that sounds like fun. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So uh, I went to the academy, got through the academy, started, uh, started riding at night. Uh, I, I had a partner in, on the boats, and uh, it was a hoot, boy. I tell you, it, uh, you'd sit in the government cut and wait for the boats to come across the Customs would be there with the radar, and you'd pick a boat and go after it. And it just was very exciting. It was just, um, you know, I just it it just seemed like something I should do. And one day I told the wife, I said, uh, "Guess what? I'm giving up the business, and I'm going to go into law enforcement." Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that, How'd that actually, go over? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you can imagine. Uh, just, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I uh, went with Miami-Dade County Sheriff's Department, uh, and um, I started out on the road, and I was making knives all the time uh, at that same time, and uh, started out on the road, went into the detective bureau, and uh, because of the, the, the training that I had done, and I had done a lot of comp competition, uh, competitive shooting, handgun shooting, um, and they at this at this time they were trans uh, transferring uh, over to automatics from uh, revolvers and I was I was a certified firearms instructor so I went to the range and uh, for about eight or so years I was uh, the range master Miami Dade County which is the largest sheriff's department you know east of the Mississippi thirty three hundred sworn officers. I did that for a while. In the last about 14 years, I, uh, because I had a lot of um, uh, uh, biology and physics and, and chemistry, and I had done some, some explosive work um, a little bit uh, before I'd been on the, went on the police department. Um, so they uh, transferred me to the bomb squad. So the last, last 14 years, I was on the bomb squad. Uh, which was just a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal experience in itself. I think probably about the best job in the world, I, I thought. And I did 25 years uh, with the department and retired. And that's kind of the basis of my knives. Almost all of my knives are tactical in nature. Um, and it was, it, it, I mean, and, and I, I say this, I say these are true tactical knives that have, that have, you know that we've gone through and 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 changed them as our needs are in the field. So that you know, you know they um, 
they incorporate a lot of things that some of the, what I call, no offense, you know, what I call kind of the pseudo-tactical knives. Uh, I think, Jeremiah, you have a couple of them, and you've probably seen what I mean by that. I do, yeah. Actually, I uh, I really have uh, taken a liking to uh, several features um, of both the flipper and the automatic, actually. I think uh, I, I appreciate their 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 purpose and their designed purpose and function well i i don't call them pretty knives by any means uh, and i do call them but i do call them functional like you just said uh, i i use uh and there's not not too many people that are doing this uh you, they're all carbon fiber um except for the blades of course uh they're all carbon fiber and the problem I have is that I can't find carbon fiber that'll stand up to what I, I need it to. So I ended up making it myself. All those, all those knives there are, are my own carbon fiber. Um, the carbon fiber is uh, the best I can find, but the, the binder, the epoxy is um, the best, the best epoxy. A lot of the epoxy that they're using on carbon fiber sheets that you might buy is, just not quality enough. Uh, it's not got the PSI um, that uh, these things need. So the only way I could do it, and, and I don't like doing it, but uh, it's it's a necessity. Hmm. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I you know that's a uh, right. So that's an attention to detail that um, that outfits you know this tool, which is that you know every piece of this is sort of made by you in house. Uh, you know, that's there's no outsourcing, which I do also appreciate uh and are, are you doing a cold press or a resin press this is uh the the process that i use is is uh is pretty simple i'll describe it to you and anybody that might be listening you know they're more than welcome to give me a call and i'll go into further detail uh the 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 sheets uh are cut into uh a little over a square foot and there's about 30 sheets in each one of them now i use uh I use a West Marine epoxy, a slow cure West Marine, uh, the hardest uh, epoxy that they have. And what happens is they're, they're wetted out and put in a frame, and then the frame is put under about 12 ton of pressure. There's no heat involved other than the heat from the, from the resin, which is, is, is mild, but it's, it's, a, it's a little over 12 ton of pressure. So you get very little, you get a lot of carbon fiber, very little resin, just enough to bond, but it's important because you get about zilch air. If you look at a lot of the store-bought, so to speak, carbon fiber sheets, and you look at them real close, you're most likely going to find air in them because they're not really put under, they're bagged is what they are, they're vacuum bagged. So you don't get the, the density that you really need. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, there's a lot of people that, that badmouth carbon fiber. I don't know why. It's strength to, you know, the strength to weight ratio is greater than steel, but uh, a lot of them will badmouth it simply because they don't want to use it. And, and I don't blame them one bit. First off, it's expensive. It's probably one of the more expensive uh, side materials for, for a knife that there is, but it's very dangerous to work with if you don't know what you're doing. And I encourage people, if they do, you know, give me a call and let me tell you what I do for safety equipment. Um, is like a is like a glass 
And when it gets in your lungs, it stays in your lungs. You're talking about when you're grinding it and milling it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I hate working with it. It's one of my favorite materials as well, but I I hate working with it. Same thing. It's take every precaution. Vacuum up the surfaces. Please do. Uh, Who was that, Nick? Yeah, I'm a knife maker Uh, myself, so I've a ton of experience with it. It's one of my most favorite materials prior to even making knives or collecting knives. Uh, it never gets old for me, but same thing. You work on it. You tr- I try to do it in batch work and vacuum the yeah. entire work area prior to and after. But uh, I know. Yeah, it gets pretty itchy. Yeah, yeah. It'll definitely get in your skin. It'll take you about a week to get out of it. So, I mean, I know one fellow that used Kyvex um, uh, suits to, to work with it. And, I, you know, that's a, that's a good idea. That's a yeah, really I'm good idea. Yeah, I'm kind of lazy to do that. But, uh, so it's now, a ass putting on those suits. They're almost like sweatsuits. I have friends and family every time. It's like, dude, do you yeah. not wash your hands? I'm like, you don't get it. Like, I worked on yeah, carbon yeah. fiber four days ago. It's about a week before it really washes out fully. Yeah. yeah. Nick's always in those Adidas sweatsuits anyway, so it's fine. Now, on, on, now, the process that I use on my knives, building the knives, is, is high-tech and low-tech. And that's kind of funny, too. I'll tell you stories about that way, way back. High-tech and low-tech. Uh, when I got into, prior to getting into the bomb squad or about the time I got into the bombs, we could not, we could not get a lot of the tools, the specialty tools that we needed. Uh, and we'd come up with ideas and there wasn't anything out there. So I got involved in CNC and, um, uh, I learned, uh, I learned some programming, uh, uh, uh master cam was what I started with. Uh, and that's pretty pretty well known program, uh, but most of most of the that was done only out of necessity from being in the bomb squad. As a matter of fact, I have a couple patents on items that we we designed and would not been able to do it without CNC. Um, and I started using that to cut my knives sides out with. So the accuracy is just phenomenal. Uh, the repeatability is phenomenal, and. Um, you know, it's just it's very satisfying to draw something, tool path it, and and I'm sure you guys understand what I mean um, to uh, to do that. So and you know and and then when it comes comes to that point, then comes in a lot of the handwork. All the I I I, I uh, CNC the outline of my blades, um, which again increases the accuracy, you know, tenfold. Uh, but, but then they're all hand ground. Uh, on my uh, on my baiters and uh, um, what have you, uh, 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 belt sanders. Um, now, the the flippers, and I hate that term. What do you guys think about that? I hate that term flipper. I think Jeremiah, you and I talked about that, yeah, didn't we? I think we're uh, I think we're over the. Yeah, I think the, the industry is not. It's a, not a great name. It's not an appealing name yeah, for I, a knife. I just. It's not I mean, like if an a, orca or if, something. Uh, if a flipper is designed right, you shouldn't have to flip it. Uh, and it and it's a and it's an engineering nightmare, but it's super satisfying when you finally get the the spring tension versus the uh, momentum to overcome that uh, coefficient of friction to get that blade out without having to flip it. Um, and uh, uh, that's a little tricky in itself, uh, especially when you've got a knife with such a massive blade. I uh, uh, spent a lot of time uh, figuring that one out. 
I also do. I also do something a little different on on my knives on on that one that the, the flipper. If you'll notice, the spring is embedded in the frame. Yes, we I, le- I did we, see that. Yep. Where at, when whether that knife is open or closed, that spring is still in that pocket. And the reason we did that, or I did that, is because of the terrible, sandy, dirty environment we have down here. Uh, if, if if you drop that in the sand, you're not going to get sand or debris in that in that in between the spring and the side of the knife, like most conventional liner locks have that gap where the spring locks into the blade. You can look right through it. Oh, absolutely, yep. In that one, it's completely sealed, whether it's opened or closed. Which is actually, uh, and... it's a very like novel idea, and I don't I don't mean it in a bad way, but it's it's a simple solution. For a problem that I'm surprised that more people haven't like come up with, uh, because it is it just sort sort of nests like that, and then it prevents it prevents debris essentially from entering the 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 spring area. Um, so I yeah no well, I, I like it. Well, in the bomb squad we kind of had a have a motto, and I think all bomb squad people do, military or or uh, law enforcement. We use the kiss principle, okay. Uh, and that's about to, that, that'll keep you from getting in trouble an awful lot of the times. Notice even the clip on that, on both of those knives. The tip of that clip actually curves down, straight forward or curves down a little bit. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I can't tell you the number of people who told me they've lost knives because the clip have, has caught on something. Yeah, it pulls uh, out of your pocket like that. It catches on so, something. It's a little harder to get in your pocket, but it stays there. It doesn't have near the tendency to reach out with that curl up on the clip to grab things as you slide by something. So it's a ball bearing system. I use uh, the steel in all my knives. I use uh, uh, 154, CPM 154. Uh, You know, it's funny in the knife, in the knife industry. I call it, as far as steel is concerned, I call it the knife of the, uh, the, the steel of the week industry, you know? Every time you turn around, there's another another steel out there that's greater and better than the one before. They they certainly do but change you t- it up a lot, don't they? Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit more of this magnesium, or a little bit more zirconium, or who knows what, you know. But it it, it all goes back. I mean, ATS thirty four and and CPM one fifty four, you know, pretty much the same. And I think people would still be using ATS thirty four if the if the Japanese hadn't stopped making it. Um, but a tried and true steel holds a good edge, has a good the 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 beauty of it too is it's a simple heat treat. Well, I do all my own heat treating as most most of us are getting getting more uh, more into that. Uh, the the ovens are so good and they're affordable now and reliable. Um, so a lot of people are doing their own heat treat and it's in the convenience of it. Also, you do one blade for somebody or you do 20 blades, who cares? You know, you've got the oven right there. So it, uh, it, it makes for good. Uh, you know, it's funny. We were just, uh, we were talking with, um, a knife maker. We were talking to Rainy Valentin a couple weeks ago and he was, he was, yeah, also, I, uh, I, I, I caught that. Yeah. Yeah. He was same, same thing. He was like, he really, he had an appreciation for ATS 34 and that just the, the realm of steels that used to be just, that's just what everybody used. It was fine. It worked great. And it was straightforward. You know, it was, uh, 
there there's you know uh, there are other steals but really for user steals um the same thing still applies you know easy to sharpen easy to work with easy to heat treat right finishes well you know that's it like you do get a lot of a lot of more modern companies trying to spice it up with your s90 v's and um i don't know that those knives ever see the kind of use that those steels are designed for um but we'll we'll leave that for um for another time tell tell me a little bit about okay so we we brazed over the cnc aspect about what year do you think within reason did you start getting into the cnc with the bomb squad well uh yeah uh there were different tools that we knew that would be effective on on entering packages or just general bomb work and 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 you they weren't out there on the market and so uh, with the ability to draw with these drawing programs and and being able to transfer that into a g code and and actually cut that part out right in front of you it just it's, it's amazing uh <laughs> excuse me uh, and there were uh, several different tools that we did. We did a lot, matter of fact. Um, and and the, the same tools are used all over the industry now. Different uh, uh, shock tube initiators. I know I'm going into things that a lot of people might not understand. But uh, anyway, ignition, ignition type tools, uh, entry type tools um, that were just a, a, a daily use that you couldn't buy, but the CNC, the first CNC the, that uh, uh, we worked on, I, I designed myself. Uh, the department didn't want to buy it, <laughs> so I designed and built it myself, and it was actually very simple to do. And uh, there are a number of other other guild members that uh, have taken it up. There's uh, uh, several several quality CNC machines out there for knife making that are under $3,000, um, which, you know, if you're a full-time maker, you can, you can make that back in no time, uh, just from the saving the time and the, and the accuracy, uh, repeatability of it. Uh, you know, you know, it's funny. Uh, I started using CNC. I'm proud of it now, but I'll tell you a little, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, you know, uh, 15 or so years ago, I would have never wanted anybody in the guild to know that I did that. It would be taboo, taboo, with the handmade uh, uh, attitude of knife-making organizations at the time. I mean, the guild went through, if you, if you, if you, you know, I'm 60, I'm 68 years old, so I remember a lot of what happened, you know, 25, 30 years ago back uh during the guild's heyday, uh, when there were three or four hundred, and at the meetings, uh, some of those guild meetings were, I mean, they were knocked down, drag out. I remember one time where we had to pull two guys apart, and it was all over how knives were being made, and if they were actually handmade, or if they were uh, uh, used uh, modern machining techniques. And one of the biggest incidents of two, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna name them. Uh, one of them has passed away, and one of them, I will say this, is known as the father of tactical knives. So I'll let you figure that out. I don't want to get any trouble or anything, but uh, uh, there was, uh, in one of, in, in my my opinion, probably, uh, arguably the 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 not only the father, but still produces one of the best tactical knives out there. 
at any rate, at any rate, uh, he was accused of doing something that 90% of the knife makers today do. And it was a knockdown drag out fight and it was water jetting. Right. I was going to say simple, simple as water jetting. Hmm. And, and now, you know, I know some makers have got their own water jet uh, systems, you know, so how times change, man, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's funny. You start looking at different collectors, for example, uh, I make folders, uh, what you'd call uh, quote-unquote tactical folders, and I use CNC machinery in-house. Um, it's just looked that different. There, there's collectors these days that actually prefer makers that use CNC machines because there's better tolerances, more repeatability, and more reliable, accurate products. Um, not to say that there aren't non-reliable, accurate products without CNC. I did it for five years prior to getting my first one. Um it just, just, it's a different, it's a different thing. It's a different skill set. It's a different finished result. Um, that like same thing, water jet and it watches almost nothing. It, it, yeah. You're just cutting out parts and saving yourself <laughs> using a bansa. Yeah. There's still tons of work to be done after that. But I, I'm, I'm familiar so, with the guild members that take a lot of that stuff very personally. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's like, uh, Hey, you know, you're not, you're not making a handmade knife if you're using modern, uh, modern technology. I think I use CNC uh, on the parts that I do use CNC because it's just so satisfying to draw it, design it right in front of you on the computer, you know, and then toolpath it and then send it to a machine and watch your work just be transformed right before your eyes. Uh, it's just, it's just, um, uh, very, very enjoyable. Uh, yeah. And I probably get more joy out of that than doing it by hand for some reason. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. If, Cause I get to play with a robot, but, uh, I don't know. Just working <laughs> with the hands, figuring out slowly, you, you got the skill set. You'll, you'll figure it out. You'll get it done, but yeah. plugging it into a robot and then like walking away and coming back and you have a part that like, this is what you meant to have and it works and yep, it's yep. there and you, st- I, you still don't, you still don't really fully understand it, but it, it's there and it works. And I, I don't know. There's, it's, more, it's a little bit more satisfying yeah, unless I'm doing something so. really crazy manually, but just to make a plain tactical knife it's, at this point, it's kind of the same thing over and over. until you make something like crazy. But CNC is definitely more, a lot more satisfying and a lot funner to do, in my opinion. I, like I said, I've done both. I did about f- four or five years prior to CNC, and then the last four years with the CNC, you know, to the point where yesterday I, I, I managed to buy my second machine. Oh, cool. I, I, know, I know some guild members that have told me that if they couldn't use CNC, they'd probably give up knife making. Oh, there you go. That's you know, pretty straightforward. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty straightforward. That's, that's about as solid as you can get. So, so now, Les, where did, you, um, where did you first run into carbon fiber? Was that something that was always sort of on your radar? Or did, did, well, I mean, did you see it somewhere? Uh, how did you? Yeah, it's, it's a, good, a good, good question, a good question. And, and again, that came from the true tactical tactical sense. The bomb suit weighs about 90 pounds, okay? And down here in Florida, when it's 100 degrees and 100% humidity, uh, I would not let any of my guys stay in that bomb suit more than 20 minutes. Now, part of that is, is a weight factor. Like I said, the bomb suit weighs about 90 pounds. And... The rule is every ounce counts. 
every ounce you can knock off of the weight of you having to go down range in that bomb suit, carrying all that that uh, disruptive equipment with you, or uh, an X-ray, uh, a disruptor, all of these things you're you're carrying. You're, you could be carrying 120 pounds without any trouble with you, the bomb suit, and all your equipment. So every ounce counts. And we all know carbon fiber is the, I mean, it just, it, it might just be a, be a knife, but it's the mentality of it. You know, you, you do everything you can to cut that weight factor down, especially when carbon fiber, you know, is reputably uh, 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 strength to steel ratio or strength to weight ratio uh, greater than steel. Um, and uh, so you know that's a lot of it. It's yeah, that knife. I I think that knife that you that you have there, both of them, Jeremiah, probably just weigh a little over three ounces. They and that's a full that much. Yeah, they're no, that's weight. a full time. That's a full time tactical tactical knife. Uh, uh, the full size tactical knife that only weighs a little over three ounces. So. You know, uh, it's uh, that that's that's probably why I'm sure that's why I went to to to, to carbon fiber uh, looking for a material that would would satisfy the strength and the weight that uh, that I wanted in a in a knife. Um, it's got nothing to do. People go, oh, it's non magnetic and everything. I go, hey, 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 buddy, you got a steel blade in it. Of course, right. it's magnetic. You know, I mean, OK, whatever you want to think. But no, it's it's magnetic. Uh, it's just very lightweight and reliable. The automatic, if you'll notice, uh, no, there's that's probably the only knife in the world that has a learning curve other than a ballet song. You know, uh, I'm sure you went through uh, 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 operating the safety. I think it's the only knife out there that actually in the safety is always in the on position unless that blade is actually coming out. And and therein was a problem we had with with other automatics. Um, automatics will open up in your pocket without any trouble at all. All you have to do is have your keys or coins or something push those buttons, and uh, uh, you stand a chance of putting your hand down in your pants pocket or something, or if it's got a clip uh, clip on it, you know, opening up, and uh, you don't want to fall on something like that. You sure don't want to cut your hand trying to get your knife out when you're going down range on a pipe bomb. Uh, so, you know, that, that's why I designed the safety in that. And that's why I designed that particular type of safety. The spring in that automatic is about a third or, or 50% stronger than any automatic spring out there. I've had some people at my tables, it shows that the, the knife has flown completely out of their hand when they've opened it because uh, they're not holding on to it tight. You know, it, as a matter of fact, there's some people I won't sell that knife to. <laughs> right. Just uh, no, it it fires it fires nice and hard. It, it pleasingly it's got uh, to snaps it, out. It's got to open. It, it cannot not open. Right. Um, it's just that's the the key to it. And when it opens, it better stay open. Exactly. And when it closes, it better stay closed. No, the the AOS safety, the the always on safety. I definitely um. I I mean there is there is a tactical advantage and you know logical design behind having a safety that you have to you know disengage the safety to fire it and then disengage the safety to close the knife um, you gotta that, you, you know that's you have, just that's it you, you have to uh, there there is a disadvantage to that knife um it's like a 45 automatic it's probably the worst side on for any law enforcement person to carry because you got to do two things 
You know, you got to take the safety off to fire it. Uh, you know, there's a two-step motion. It's a dinosaur as far as lawn, you know, self-defense. Gun. Well, the knife, that knife might fall in a little bit into that, too. You know, you have to do two things. But most people, when they get the hang of it, it's a one movement, you know. It's you're, fluid. You're, yep. you're, you're, yeah, fluid, exactly. Thank you. That's, that's a perfect connotation. So you get used to it. But uh, I think the safety factor is far, far out passes the, uh, the uh, learning curve that it takes to, to get used to it. And it, it's very, um, so right, like you said, um, these knives are, you know, unabashedly straightforward. They're not uh, cosmetically trimmed or, or anything. They're, they are definitely, they are tools that are meant to be used. Um, and I think you, you were saying that, uh, or, or the note you sent me, that, so the safety on the automatic, it's not, you know, overly chamfered and, and slick and smooth because it's right. It's meant to be used with gloves on if you were in a bomb suit. It's it's a tool that's meant to be used, you know, in a specific well, uh, arena. A lot of these ideas weren't from me. OK, I'm not going to take credit for for a lot of these things. I'll run by a couple of them uh, on 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 the automatic in particular. Um, the uh, uh, I, I sell a number. I sell a good amount of these to two particular law enforcement agencies or, or government agencies. Um and uh, that were involved with me on the bomb squad um, on a daily basis. Uh, and they'd come back to me and say, hey, you know, you might think about this. You might think about that. And I say, yeah, that's a good idea. One of the things I don't do on that knife, you mentioned the safety, uh, camphering the safety. Uh, I could round that front of that safety off, make it, make it pretty, you know. I could, I could even check her you know, or put, uh, put line grooves on it, whatever, you know, and everything. And, uh, 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 it'd be defeating what it really is designed. I want that little edge up front because you got to realize all of my guys are wearing gloves and the smoother something is, the harder it is to operate. So you want that little sharp edge to make sure that they got, they have something to grip on. That's one reason why I don't put a, put a camphor all I do is break the edges around that. I could put a forty. I could put a you know a sixteenth inch uh, or, or whatever radius all the way around that knife all, uh, on both sides, you know, and that would be pretty. But it would not fit. It wouldn't wouldn't grip in your hand. It wouldn't cut into your hand with gloves on and 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 stay there when you're all hot and sweaty. Uh, so that's the reason for that. I've got, I've had people buy them, you know, and go, Hey, you know, you ought to do this, that, and the other. And I tell them, Hey, it's your knife, son. You can take it home and do whatever you want to with it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, I realized I was watching a video of yours and you don't make the safeties out of carbon fiber. You actually mold them out of well, uh, plastic that you mentioned using for bowling bowls, bowling bowls. Yeah. I think. Yeah, that was another idea, and I, I'm going to be honest with you. I guess this is as public as again. I'm going to start making the making the safeties out of carbon fiber. Uh, the the bowling ball material, ebonite or whatever, is good. It's tough, but uh, I I think the carbon fiber uh, uh, in 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 reality in reality, and again I'll admit. In reality, it, it's easier for me to make them out of carbon fiber than it is to cast them out of the ebonite. Uh, and I think the carbon fiber might be uh, might be a little stronger. And Jeremiah, you know, you can send that back, and I'll retrofit it, and you see what you think. Uh, oh, all right. And I'll I'll even pay the postage. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, I think I will start doing that out of carbon fiber. Um, sometimes you, if you want to sell these knives, you got to conform to what some people want, you know, and whether, you know, you like it or not, if it works, okay, fine. If it doesn't work, I won't do it. But uh, if, uh, and they, they work, the ebonite's fine, you know, but I, I think I like the carbon fiber a little bit better. Uh, the reason I asked was uh, for just for the mech of it. I was wondering if it was just for ease or how it was done or there was a very unique shape that was easier to mold over machining was the reason I asked. It's, 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 uh, I've made, I've made molds, uh, out of them and, and it's a nasty, you know, I, it's, you know, mixing epoxy, injecting it in a mold, you know, and that it, it's just, uh, I, I think that I'd just rather do it with carbon fiber. I can, I can mill those out without any trouble and that's probably what I'll go to. Hmm. There you go. All everything's right. in a everything's in a state of transition to try to improve. You know, right? Uh, you, you know, you meant you mentioned something else there, which is um. So I, so you you go to the when when did you let's let's I want to transfer a little bit into shows. You you go to the gathering pretty regularly. When did when did you start going to the gathering? I think it was about four or five years ago. Okay. Um. So you go to the gathering, and there's a very specific number of these knives you bring, and you sell out in pretty much moments every time. So, so much so that I never, I was never even able to handle one of these knives because every time I came to your table, they were gone. So, I mean, which is, which is great, which is very good. Um, I, I bring about 12 of those flippers and 12 of the automatics to the show. And yeah, they, and, and I price them very fairly. I don't want to get into my pricing uh, thing, you know. Uh, I, I price them very fairly. Um, and I give, okay, I'll tell you what I do. Uh, it's not a secret. I, uh, I'm not a, I, I'm a full-time hobbyist. Okay. I don't, I don't need this money as a, as an income. And I really, especially right now, I really feel for the guys that are full-time makers out there that with this not being able to go to the shows and everything that are struggling and we ought to really think about them, you know, uh, um, and, uh, and, 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 and folks like you that have the shops and everything that you're, you're, you're doing a great job. You're keeping them, you're keeping food on the table for them, whether you, I'm sure you realize that. Um, but in, in my case, you know, I, th this, these knives are labors of love. I really, truly enjoy doing them. And when I go to the shows, the shows are more vacations for me. You know, I get out of town. I see my friends, uh, especially at the Blade. I see people that I only see once a year that have helped me and I've helped them and we exchange ideas and, and, and that type of thing. So it's a social thing. Basically, what I try to do is I take the cost of the show. In other words, the gathering is a pretty expensive show to go to. The tables are, 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 are expensive. It's worth it, but they are expensive. Uh, the plane fare out there is expensive. The hotel is very expensive. And we all know what the food is and everything. So you get into thousands and thousands of dollars to go to a show. And you guys know that as, as well as anybody, especially having a shop out there. Um, so what I do is I try to <laughs> I try to take the total cost of the show. <coughs> excuse me. I try to take the total total cost of the show and the number of knives that I'll be bringing. And I divide that up. And that's pretty much how I price the knives. There you go. Uh, so, uh, you know, and if you get there soon enough, yeah, you're going to get the deal of the lifetime. Uh, you're going to get a knife that 
is 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 one nobody really wants to make because of the carbon fiber. It's very in, in reality there are very few carbon fiber knives out there compared in, in a comparative situation. So that's that's uh, yeah. I, but I, I I'm not gonna I'm not patting myself on the back or anything. But I bring I bring about twenty four of those uh, to each show, and I've and I've sold out every show for the last fifteen years. Which is yeah, uh, no, that's good. So uh, you know it's a. But then again, uh, I love people, and when you walk by my table. Uh, one thing I do at the shows, the guys ask me, they, they go, you know, you know, Les, you sell out at every show. How, how, how do you do that, you know? And I said, well, I, you know, first off, if you want to sell knives, you're going to have to follow three rules. And if you're new at knife making and going to shows, these are three good rules. If you follow, you're going to do fine. First off, you've got to have a knife that everybody wants. In other words, right now, tacticals are very popular, and they're always going to be popular. They go up, they go down, but they will always be popular. Second, you've got to have a knife that's unique. If it's not unique, it's on the table next to you and the table next to them all the way down, okay? Nothing special. It's like I remember going to some of the first shows, and every table you went to, had nothing but drop point hunters on them, one after another after another. And I go, you know, and the guy says, I didn't sell the damn knife. He said, I, I said, well, the guy next to you did because he's got the same knife and it's $10 less. So that brings you to the next point. You got to have a knife that everybody wants. You got to have some uniqueness in it that makes it different than everybody else. And you've got to have it priced where it's a fair price when that person walks away, they go, wow, I got a good deal. So if people will follow those rules, they're going to do great at any show they go to. Have you been to shows and you see people, you walk by their table and they're sitting on their ass and they don't even look up at you? Yeah. we've Now, how's, yeah. Now how's that guy going to sell a knife, you know? It's kind of like in your store on the strip. If somebody walks in the shop and this guy's just sitting there doing a crossword puzzle. How many knives do you think you're going to sell? Yeah, you no. got to be interactive. You've got to, you've got to, and and you see these guys, they sit there. If you come by my table, I'm going to be standing up that whole show. When I after the show's over, I'm dead. I am dead. I I can hardly walk. My feet are killing me. My back's killing me. I don't have any knives left though. If somebody comes by the table and I catch their eye, my hand is going to go out and say, hey, my name's Les, how you doing? So if they would just try to do that, there would be nobody in these shows going home, oh, man, it's a lousy show, I didn't sell a thing. Yeah. I hate when I hear that. I really do. I mean, you've got to be, if you're if you're at a table at a show, you got to be personable, and you got to be willing to talk to folks that are walking by and and friendly because you know what there's there's unanswered questions and opportunities to to inform you know a, a friend or a potential customer about about your product in this case being knives you know you know jeremiah uh nothing could nothing could be truer nothing could be truer i'll tell you i'll tell you a story uh, when i was first in the guild um 
I was at a table in between Bill DeFriest and, and Frank Sinefani. Now, Frank Sinefani used to be a police officer. We got along real well. Uh, and, you know, and, and Bill DeFriest, he was a big hunter and, and made beautiful knives, beautiful knives. And one day, a guy comes down and he's Italian. Had a big, and I, the name, the name I embarrassingly, uh, I, I forget, had a beautiful shop in Italy, very sophisticated individual, whole family. And they bought a lot of knives. And uh, he came down, he walked down, and, and, he, and the guy's walking down the aisle, and Bill looks at me and he says, stand up. This guy, he's a buyer, okay? And you look down the aisle, and everybody was just, talking amongst themselves and this guy you know was going down and 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 he he'd stop and he'd look at something and they wouldn't give him the time of day or anything and he got to bill's table uh and uh, uh bill was already up and his hand was out shaking his hand how you doing you know and everything and uh the the guy looked at his wife and looked at uh the his son who could speak english and they started talking back and forth and the guy and the guy said uh through his son he says how much and and Bill said, "What do you mean? How much?" And the guy says, "How much for the whole table?" Oh okay. wow! Okay. And the guy bought the whole table, <laughs> only because probably he had quality work, without a doubt. I mean, I right. mean, s- super stuff, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, because the guy treated him with respect. Sure. So simple as that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you never. And that's true with the shop too. We see that a lot. Oh, I mean, definitely. You, you never know who's going to walk through the door. You can't can't judge somebody by how they dress or how they how they talk. You, people will surprise you. You know, if you if you open up and and are friendly to somebody and just you know talk about talk about knives, talk about whatever. You know, people are really they'll they'll blow your minds. I mean, they'll walk in and spend a lot. You know, or or you never know. They could be you know a good friend or a good acquaintance from that point on. But you know, in in this business especially, you never know who's walking down the aisles at a knife show. You know, it it, it could be a, you know a millionaire dressed in an everyday clothes, just you know. I've had just uh, out. I've had I've had two instances. Uh, one was pretty recent, but one was about oh, twelve or fifteen years ago, and uh, I was there, and a guy you know wanders by, and he and he looked like death warmed over. Okay, he really did. <laughs> And, and, you know, it's the kind of guy, you know, that you, you're going to, oh, this guy doesn't have a nickel. He's just in here, you know, uh, who knows why, but he's, you know, and everything. And uh, I stopped him. I said, hey, how are you doing, you know? And, uh, I mean, that was back when I was a little desperate, you know, I need to sell knives. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he, he says, oh, hello, how are you, you know, and everything. And uh, uh, I said, my name's Les Adams. And he stuck out his hand, you know, and everything. He says, my name is uh, John, I think it was John Reese. I said, oh, okay. Uh, and uh, I said, how are you doing today? Fine. I said, where are you from? He says, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Hmm. You, you getting the big picture? Yeah, right. Yeah. And I said, you're, you're kidding. You're not, uh, you're not the, yeah. He says, yeah, I'm, I, I invented Reese's peanut butter cup. And, uh, uh, you know, he bought, he bought two or three knives. He had he had seven sons, and he bought some knives from them, you know, and everything. And people on both sides of me are going, "Man, oh, wow, I never thought this guy would buy buy uh, buy anything," you know. Uh, just a couple years ago, uh, when we were in, a few years ago when we were in Kansas City, uh, Mister Brownell's uh, from Brownell's uh, uh, gunsmithing supply came by, you know, 
And uh, again, uh, and nobody's giving him the time of day, and he's probably got a wallet as thick as a brick, you know? <laughs> uh, don't go to the shows if you don't like people. If you, if, you That's know, exactly right. And I, I, and I can't figure it out. You go there, you spend $700 for a table, and you, and you, you, don't, you don't work the table. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's put it this way. I hate people, but... I make it look like I like people at shows. Yeah, well, <laughs> when I got yes. when I got to be socially interactive, I make it work. <laughs> sometimes you got to put a little show on, you know. It, it, sometimes it's hard too, and I've, I, all you guys have have seen this. You know, you get these people in the knife shows that are the loneliest people in the world, and they come up to your table and they will sit there for two hours and talk to you. Mm-hmm. You, you gave them the time of some, day, and they're <laughs> sometimes you just gotta gotta. Hey, uh, excuse me just a second, you know. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, but it, it happens. These guys show up to these shows. They're nervous. They're new to the community. <laughs> they hear about the knife show. They show up. They don't know who to hang out with. Uh, at the table, it's not bad because at the table, from when the show opens up at 9 o'clock to 6 p.m., like you're, you're, you're in your work, you're in your work zone. You're, you got your song. You got, you got the work personality on. You're socially interactive. After six o'clock, you want to hang out with your friends and get it's Vegas or late show. You want to get drunk. You want to relax and do yeah. it again the next day. And at that point, when you these guys are like, oh, he was a nice guy to me. I'm going to hang out around him from six o'clock to whenever. And that's when you kind of want to hang out with your friends that you see the three times a year at shows. Sure. Exactly. You don't, want to, you don't want to put on that work personality. It's when it's when they buy a table and then they want to come back behind and sit with you for the rest of the day. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Got to draw that line somewhere, you know. That's uh gets gets a little uh, gets a little tricky. Uh but you know that's that's all part of the that's part of the experience. You know, that's part exactly. of that's part of putting on that that um that personality for the show, you know, in in both ways as as a as a salesman and, you know, as a social, you know, auteur, so to say. Personality, sure. Exactly. You bet. Um so okay, so the so the automatic and the and the flipper, the 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 automatic has the always on safety with the push button, and it's a it's a coil fired automatic. Let's let's get in, let's get into a little bit of the details on that one. Um, okay, how did uh how did that come about? How did how did you develop this um this 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 always on safety? Now was there an incarnation of this knife previously? It was just a push button without the safety. How, how let's 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 do that a little bit. Well, it did it did start out with a push button without the safety, but again, going back to being a true tactical knife, you'll you'll notice how high that button sits up. Now, you you really can't have a true tactical automatic unless that button sits high up because once again, if they try to make the automatic safe with a button a large button, they have to embed it, indent it into the frame. In other words, make it flush or a little bit under the frame so it doesn't accidentally get pushed. Well, try doing that with Nomex gloves on, okay? So that's just not going to work. It wouldn't didn't work for me. So that's how the button and the large button came about. And, and uh, uh, I knew that I would have to have some kind of safety in it. Well, when I was at the range at the police department, I was also the departmental armor. And the department in Miami-Dade County is a huge department and a lot of funding. And they sent me to every single armory school out there. Uh, and a tremendous amount 
of guns on the market have what's called a cross-bolt safety. Are you familiar with that term? A cross-bolt safety is very popular with <coughs> excuse me, very popular with shotguns. In other words, if you have a shotgun, you'll have a little button on each side of the trigger. And what happens is when you put that safety on, it pushes uh, 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 that, that cylinder of metal so that if you were to pull the trigger, it would not pass enough to set the, the you know, to break the sear. So that's called a cross bolt safety. And I figured that, you know, that might work on that automatic if I could design in a system that actually stops the button, or in this case, we call it the trigger, from being pulled. So when you push that safety or when that spring pushes that safety forward in the opened or closed position, what it's doing is sliding a piece of metal or the ebonite so that the button cannot go far enough down to, to, in, to for the blade to engage. Hmm. Okay, so it totally interrupts the travel of the of the hat so it cannot it cannot go through. It cannot That's uh, that's it. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know, it's funny. The only problems that I've ever had with that knife are people taking it apart to try to figure out how it works. Yeah, there's those out there that will do that. That's, yeah. that's true. And, you know, I, I get the knife. That's only happened a few times, but I get the knife back. And if they just tell me, look, you know, my Leslie, I was just curious how it was working and everything, and I took it apart, and now I can't get it back together. Okay, fine. No problem. Send it to me. I'll take care of it for you. But you get all kind of stories, you know, like, uh, hey, you know, all the, all the screws came came loose at once in it. You know, you know, you got to go, yeah, okay. You don't call anybody a liar, but you do get a good laugh out of it. Right. Yeah, I opened the box, I fired it once, and the whole thing just kind of, like, fell apart. Like, sure, Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sure that, you know, down the road or sooner or later, you know, I mean, I've had them out for, gosh, over 10 years, but, and, you know, no problems. But, you know, it's a knife, and the, and the knife... What people don't understand, you know, people come up to me at the table, uh, especially, uh, and I'll tell you this, especially ladies buying a knife for their husband or their son or somebody in the military, something like that. And one of the questions they'll ask me is, does this knife have a lifetime guarantee? And I tell them, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, a knife's, knife's one of the most abused tools on the face of the earth. Now, if it's something I did wrong, yeah, sure, you bet, no questions asked. But if you take it out and decide to use it as a screwdriver, eh, you know, I'm probably going to charge you for a new blade. Right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's that's reasonable. It's it's warranty against it. misuse. You know, that's like not my problem. Well, uh, I, you I got a lot it, of... As long as I'm alive, I'll warranty it. But you got about a year, so yeah, yeah. better use that thing fast. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story. Living down here in Florida and everything, I used to make uh, fillet knives. I used to love to make fillet knives, and not too many people make them because they're, they're hard. You know, it's a long, narrow grind on a on a thin piece knives. of steel. Yeah, and it's they're hard to do, and they're hard to hard to heat treat right too. By the way, and you guys know that. And uh, but I quit making them simply because they got to be the most abused knife on the face of the earth. I mean, people are hammering them through kingfish backbones, you know, and 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 cutting everything on the boat that they shouldn't be cutting, and, 
And I, I quit making them. I just said, no, this is not worth it, you know. Hmm. Uh, yeah, they, just, I, they I, probably do get housed pretty good. I mean, I made more of a home version of a filet knife after you caught the fish, you did it at home. But I just didn't only grind them because when you're grinding the tip area, like your your the the tip is parallel with the grinder, but your hand is forty five degrees out because the eight inches out, the whole thing is flexing. Yeah, exactly. People don't think about that. Any any more any more I go to Pro Bass and buy an eight dollar one, you know, because I'm going to drop it overboard anyway. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I was actually making type back in the day when I first started. I was making titanium ones with cork handles. My oh, idea yeah, was, yeah, oh, it'll ne- yeah. it'll never rust and yeah. it'll float. <laughs> yeah. That's and, why they uh, paint. That's that, that's why they paint them red now. You know, so you can see them when you drop them in the water. No, that makes sense. Actually, yeah. Um, I mean, if you were gonna, yeah, fillet knives. No, I don't know about that. Better to yeah, Jared. This is be- this is before you met me. This is when I was making kitchen knives and fillet knives and fixed blades and bushcraft stuff. So. Les, you basically, and now correct me if I'm wrong, were you living in and working in the in Miami Vice? Is that essentially is that is that accurate? Were you when were you... when when I was with the Marine Patrol, uh, our, our total our total job was interdiction. Okay, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, you talk about you talk about people that have take home vehicles. My take home vehicle was a uh, a 28 foot cigarette with twin 455 blown Chevys in it okay uh, that boat that boat would do uh, on a on a calm day on a nice day uh, that boat would do an easy 110 mile an hour on the water uh, so those were all confiscated boats that's 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 where we got them airplanes boats everything and but that was my take home vehicle um, so you know that was I guess you can understand why I got in law enforcement. Yeah, right. If they're gonna, yeah, those are some pretty good just, uh, fringe benefits there. Well, and and I found it. I, you know, the jewelry business was good, but I just didn't find it socially redeeming. You know, it just didn't. You know, at the end of the day, it just didn't seem like. You know, what have you really done? Uh, hmm. was, yeah, you understand what I mean. Sure, uh, sure. Now, do you yeah. do you um. Do you do any sort of jewelry stuff anymore? I mean, you, I'm sure you could still spot a stone. You know, I, I I really enjoyed the manufacturing of it. I did a lot of lost wax work. I still have all my casting equipment, my burnout ovens and my centrifugal casters and torch and everything. But I just, uh, I really haven't had time to with everything else. You know, you know, when you retire, people say, you got to have a lot of time. I, I, I'm busier now than I've ever been. Uh, <laughs> Yes. So, I mean, so no, good. I ha- I haven't gotten back into it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I really did enjoy it when I when it was, but there's just you know there's just not enough hours in the day sometimes. Right. No, that's that's true. You got You got to focus on 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 what's up uh, what's up front, with, which in this case is is the knives. You know. Well, a lot of times it's fishing too. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That that works. So you you must still get out on the water pretty regularly then. Yeah, I'm down on the water down here. I've got a. A nice uh, boat in the back, and uh, we go out uh, uh, into the flats uh, down here in the backwater, and sometimes outside. But uh, just beautiful country down here, just beautiful. Mm. Um, now, do you ever have you ever done uh, the Gator Show down there? Uh, that's a funny story. I don't even know if I should say anything like this or not. But yeah, the, the Gator and the knife and the Florida Knife Makers Guild. Um, 
uh, which I'm, I'm going to, now that I'm retired, going to get back into. I was in the uh, Florida Knife Makers Guild for, for some time. And then, then my work just, it, the work just wouldn't let me go to the shows or anything. And uh, so I missed, uh, I missed about, oh, about five years of the Florida Knife Makers Guild uh, shows. And uh, I wanted to get back into it. So I went to the president at the time. I think he's passed away now. I went to the president at the time and he says, yeah, 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 but you got to pay five years of back dues. And I'm going, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, now, the Gator Show is probably the, the bigger show in Florida. And a lot of nice people. A great, great, uh, uh, great bunch of guys. And uh, I think I would have done that this year, but uh, everything got uh, got canceled uh, with the with the virus. So. And it's not too far from me, you know, three three or so hour drive, that's nothing. And a lot of nice people, real nice people, top quality. Yeah, 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 definitely uh, a few people we've talked to, that's definitely um, in that neck of the woods. That's, that seems to be a pretty prominent show. I've got to I've gotta try to make it down there one of these years for that show when it's not canceled. Yeah. It's like, I'm confused, is it a knife show or is it a gator show? No, they should. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's just a knife show. Uh, no alligators allowed. But, uh, well, it's the gator, There's always gator alligators with an eye uh, span. I mean, you're in Florida. Mm-hmm. You never know. you got to be prepared, Nick. That's why you got to have well, a good knife alli- on you. <laughs> it's alligator season right now. You can get a pull a permit and go hunt them. Um, they're... Uh, it's quite a quite a trip to uh, to go out in uh, into the into the canals or the swamps or Everglades and uh, some of the bigger lakes. Lake Okeechobee is full of them. You know they're running all over the place uh, and they're delicious eating. The meat's fantastic. Yeah, I've I've actually had it a, a few times when I when I'm down there and it's uh, yeah that's it's good. It's uh, it's all about the sauce. It's, you know it's it's a, it's like the white-tailed deer of the the peninsula i guess you know something like mm-hmm. that um but yeah no go, going through uh, alligator alley through the uh through the everglades there it's a it's a pretty wild part of the country actually well if you go through alligator alley i'll guarantee you you'll see alligators on on both coming and going they're all over the place all over the place oh yeah um so you were okay so we were saying that you you mostly do uh the usn you do you do blade show too always do the blade show always do the blade Blade show Show. how long have you been doing a blade show oh gosh i stopped doing it for a little while again because of work but uh uh, i've done the blade show last four four or five years i think nice okay all right um yeah that seems to be the if you don't show up at blade show everybody thinks that uh something some yeah something happened um, well, it's it's the show of the world, you know. So right, and 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 it's got some other advantages of it too. A, a lot of us makers, Nick, he, he understands, and all you guys do, you know. I mean, there are a lot of people go to the blade show uh, just to buy supplies, uh, especially if all, you're from most a, of my supplies. The blade show, any of the fancy materials yeah. and natural yeah. materials, I kind of like to pick it out in person. Sure. And and think if you're out of country, we get a tremendous amount of people out of country, you know, and then it's a gold mine to them. So uh, it's a blade's got a lot of benefits, a lot of benefits. Uh, uh, I'm sorry they had to cancel, but uh, again, um, 
Evelyn, I think, yes, it is. Uh, uh, made a good, made a good choice. It would have been a nightmare, I think. Um, yeah, certainly the, some of the logistics involved uh, with regulations and and um, and things being what what they are now might might be a little more complicated than uh, than uh, that group might have really been ready to to undertake. Along with the customer bases, obviously, it's it's a that's. That's a that's a that's a big ask for a convention of that size, you know. So we'll do that. We'll do that in uh, we'll do that in twenty twenty one. That's fine. And the same thing with USN. You know, we'll we'll move our our Vegas plans to uh, to to next year, which you know, it's just next year. It it it'll just it'll keep on keep on trekking, so to say. Exactly. You know. Oh, the, the, the all these shows are going to come back. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Um. Now, one uh, one thing that I did see, and I'm sure you guys saw too, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I've started to see a, a few online uh, knife shows. I I did see that uh, a couple a couple of makers um, went live uh, or, or put their put their work up on their on their Facebooks or um, on their Instagrams. Yeah, yeah, um, but I mean. Uh, uh, that's the, the internet is probably the one thing that is that that has hurt knife organizations and um, um, uh, shows. Uh, you know, people they don't have to go to a show to buy where they used to. So it's uh, uh, it has had an effect on shows, no doubt about it. Right. No. Exactly. Exactly. I bet. I bet you guys are doing a tremendous mail order with this uh, pandemic thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, sales at the shop have, uh, actually been, um, not terrible. I mean, obviously in-store sales are a little down, but, um, online sales have been trucking right along. Cause you know, people sort of, they're at home, they're in front of the computer and, and collectors never stop, you know, collecting the good stuff. So yeah, well, top quality mail are brides. Yep. That's right. All, people all that time. buy, people that buy knives are going to buy knives one way or the other. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's they're either going to buy them at the show or they're gonna buy them. I mean, it's an addiction to some people. Thank goodness. Um, right. But uh, they're gonna buy knives. I, no matter what. like I. That's exactly right. Yeah. No, that's that's true. Um, so all right. So Les, we've got uh, we've got the bow styles. Let's see. We went over some of the mechanics. Um, and another another note that I wanted to go over that I don't remember if we did or not yet, but the the pocket clips. So the the securement of the pocket clip is milled into the carbon fiber. So it sits beneath the face of the carbon fiber, which I also find um, rather pleasing. So there's not a bunch of sort of hardware well, you, sticking above. What, uh, another, another complaint that you get from knives is that they need to be as streamlined as possible. And I'm not going to just take a I'm not going to take a clip and just slap it on top of a of the side of a knife, you know, and have the edges catch it and that type of thing. That's just not that's not what I call guild craftsmanship. There, okay, uh, that's just a shortcut is is basically what that is. So yeah, the the clip is embedded in the into into the carbon fiber frame, but it's also it's also screwed in every screw in that knife gets screwed into steel. It gets screwed into stainless steel. There is a, there is a, a sleeve, a tube, a sleeve, a threaded, a threaded sleeve that 
connects those two sides that all the screws screw into. Carbon fiber is tough, but it, it will not hold up to threads, okay? If you thread a piece of carbon fiber and just put a screw into it, it, it it's just not going to work for you on a long-term basis. They've, it's got to screw into steel. Right. It's yeah. It's got it's got a metal's got to meet metal on that to make a proper securement. I uh, yeah exactly. You're exactly right. Dang it! That's awesome. That's very cool. So what's what is the what does the future hold? Um, where does uh, I mean you're just you're you're in this. You're you're doing it now, and you're you're fulfilling orders now. Is there is do you have a, a do you have an NSN for this? Is that right? Well, you don't have to. You don't really have to. When I was in law enforcement, you know, I never even worried about it. But um, there are there are definitely federal regulations that we're trying our hardest to get rid of. The knife, knife you know, uh, reader and the knife rights uh, group, you know, um, we should all donate to that. Uh, but uh, he's doing whatever he can. Uh, the political climate right now is the last thing politicians are concerned about is <clears throat> avoiding the, uh, the, the federal uh, uh, switchblade uh, laws. But, it, yeah. but any, at any rate, it, it's, it, it, I think the feds have a lot better things to do than worrying about enforcing switchblade laws. I'm very careful. Uh, uh, and that I don't, um, I won't send, I won't send a switchblade in the mail across state lines unless it follows the legal, uh, uh, the individual has proof that he's in the military or law enforcement, or the, the store is a, a, a dealer um, in automatics. Uh, so, you know, I, I stay pretty close to, uh, to, uh, uh, what the rules are, um, and you know, it's it's a it's a stupid law. I mean, we all know that, mm. but it's it's still a law, unfortunately. Right? Uh, yeah, just just one of those just one of those things. Yeah. What does the future hold? I think the future holds not just for me, but for I'll tell you a funny story too. Uh, in the guild now, uh, we're starting to see. And I, I and then last year, I think, was really the first time that I started really seeing it. Uh, uh, we're starting to see a lot more knives that have you noticed the quality of the handmade knives out there, especially in the folder range. They are just phenomenal. And I mean, I'd like to go down the list, but it wouldn't be fair. I'd forget somebody's name and there'd be hell to pay, you know. But there are just some phenomenal lockbacks and and uh, uh that are just i i cannot believe human hands are making them and, and and they are but they're also using a lot of high-tech equipment to do it and it was funny uh, the last uh the last show we had in uh, fort worth the guild show in fort worth that jerry moe and uh uh nice enough to uh uh, uh put on uh for us um the uh um the uh uh we had a probationary member with a uh, uh, a, uh, a lockback, and um, my technical committee, who they're going to find something. I don't like to use the word wrong. Okay, please don't please don't mistake me for that. But they're going to find something that they feel should be improved on. Okay, that's a better way to put it. 
in any knife you bring to them. That's how good their eyes are, okay? Uh, Harry Matthews and Charlie and Paul Lee Batard out of Mississippi is just phenomenal, okay? Uh, just can just can critique a knife and 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 uh, uh, help you out something fierce. All the all three of those guys on my on my committee can do that. At any rate, this one fella brought this one knife up, a folder, to be critiqued, and and Harry looked at it, you know, and and Harry turns to me and he says, "Les, I, I can't find a thing wrong with this knife," and I said, "Well, Harry, that's you know," and I talked to the fellow afterwards. And I said, you know, Harry doesn't do this often, but he says he can't find it. He says, well, come here. Let me show you this knife. And he says, here's here's a little problem I have with it. He, you know, I'm not surprised. But he says, it's just not crisp enough on the lockback. And I said, well, what do you what do you plan on doing? And he told me, he says, well, I'm going to have to tweak my CNC program a little bit. So that's the moral of the story. The work, and the then, work and out Harry there. Harry had a heart attack. It's it's yeah it's just it's just phenomenal work out there. But we can we can we can uh, uh, thank uh, the high tech uh, uh, methods that are there are out there, and and that's the wave of the future. We'll start seeing knives that you're, I mean the, the the makers that are hand making knives and hundred percenters that are doing that. Um, I get I get I get uh, uh, problems as you know less. Uh, they're these guys are going to kill us. And I said, no, they're not. You guys don't understand. There are people out there that want a handmade knife that's totally handmade, okay? And there are people out there that want the perfection, so to speak, of a, of a knife that is both CNC and handmade. Uh, and there are guild rules that, that demand that the blade has to be hand ground, you know. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're only going to profit from anything uh, the bottom line, the moral of the story is competition is good for business. Uh, I find that to be absolutely true. Yeah. Sure it is. Sure. It keeps you on top of your yeah. game. Yep. Yeah. So that's where it's going. That's that's what we're going to see. We're going to see phenomenal work, but it's going to be a combination of uh, elaborate uh, equipment. Uh, even if you look out in some of the nice supply stores, you'll see gauges for setting the locks on lockbacks, okay, which you never had before. You had to do it by eye. But the, 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 the technology is just advancing hand over foot, and it's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. It definitely, you know, competition's important. And you know what? It's uh, I think Nick and I were talking about this, but, like, if the, if the end game of knife making is to make the best darn knife you can make, as long as you're the one um, making it and producing it, whatever tools you use to make the best darn knife you can, I mean, I kind of think that's pretty important, you know, whether it be handmade or CNC, whatever. But if you're making the best product you can make using the tools at hand, that's that's what counts, you know? Frank, Frank Sinefani told me one time, he says, don't make what the public wants, make what you want, and you'll always do a better product. I'm thinking he's probably right. Yeah. I'm not one to yeah. disagree with Frank Sanfonte. I'm not, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not, that's, I'm not going to be that yeah. guy. That's, that's yeah. not my place. He's, he was one of the best, see, he was one of the best folder makers when it was all done, you know, a hundred percent by hand and you couldn't find a thing wrong with his knives. But the, you know, that's when folders weren't near as popular 
uh, and there weren't as many people making them, uh, but he was, and uh, uh, it was just a phenomenally clean, perfect knife. Um, his 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 claim to fame, and another another thing that a lot of knife makers try to do is they try to embellish the knife, but they're not really capable of doing it. And nothing makes a knife look ugly than if you do file work that just stands out like a sore thumb. Um, there's nothing prettier on a knife, especially a folder, than a brushed finish. Nothing prettier when it's done right. And when it isn't done right, it just turns that into something you can't even look at. So, you know, I tell the new makers, don't try to be something that you're not. Right. Yeah, keep it, you know, keep within uh keep within your abilities at at the time of 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 making, you know, don't Exactly. Uh, right. Keep practicing, you know. It's like an engraver, you know. They don't start out, you know, doing work like uh, uh Barry Hands does, you know. So That's true. Uh, yeah. So now Les, do you do you um do you collect knives now or are you just purely about making them? I have I have never collected a knife in my life. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Believe it or not. That's, you know. I just I just um you know what I've I've seen a lot of knives that you know and I don't know how to put this tactfully you know and I've seen a lot of knives that I'm not going to say I copied but I got ideas from. Um I'll, I'll never copy another person's knife. Now the automatic, you know, uh I get I get a lot of hey less you think uh you think I can uh make that knife uh, uh, kind of like you did, you know, and use your ideas and everything. I say, yeah, knock yourself out. Uh, go for it. I don't, you know, I don't patent anything like that. And if it gives somebody an idea, you know, just like I got ideas from other people, you know, go for it. Do sure. it better than me, okay? Make me proud. Right, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, borrow that and then improve upon it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, exactly. yeah, that's that that's fair i mean the, like the the push button thing is certainly you know it's pre-existing technology but you definitely you put your spin on it and you put the that always on safety which really you know i mean that just that changes the characteristics of that of that mechanism you know i'd like to see some i'd like to see somebody do something a little different you know come up with a a, a little bit better better idea you know automatics are they're, they're the way to go they really are they sell like hotcakes oh uh, yeah i totally they're agree. just uh <laughs> They're just, uh, they're a moneymaker for a shop or a maker or anything. It's just the, the, uh, I get that phone call from Jeremiah once a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's kind of grinning. I bet. To be honest, uh, to be honest, Les, so I didn't hear about you until about two, three months. I don't know. COVID's been messing with my, 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 uh, span on time. I'd say about four or five months. Uh, where I actually approached Jer Jeremiah telling him that I want to make some carbon fiber body, like full carbon fiber body automatics because I didn't want to work with aluminum and titanium tends to stick with the button lock mechanism. And I told him, I was like, I don't think I've seen anyone do it. Do you think it'll work? Uh, and he said, oh, there's not really anyone really money you guys doing it, but there's this one guy, Les Adams, who's been doing it for a long time and they seem to work and uh, last the test of time. The carbon fiber doesn't really wear out. And I made one. Um, Jared, what's it been? About six, seven months now? 
Something like so it must have been in the before time. So yeah, in the before times of COVID. So I it's yeah. here at my desk, and I've been I've probably opened this thing about six to eight hundred. Well, times. I mean, it, are you meaning you just made an automatic, or you try to put a safety mechanism to it? No, it just I'm I've purely made an automatic uh, button lock spring, the whole thing, no safety. I made the one prototype custom, full on, mainly to see the durability of the carbon fiber. Uh, and it's working great. And now I only found out today, I was thinking about it, but I, in my prototype, I haven't implemented, uh, any sort of steel retainer rings or steel, uh, guards. It's just all steel on uh, phosphor bronze on carbon fiber. And well, it's been holding up great for six months now. Send me, send me, a, a an address or something and, uh, I'll, uh, I'll dig up some scrap parts, um, a couple sides and you'll see how it how the how the safety mechanism works okay well jeremiah um, sent me a video today of uh someone was interviewing you there in usn and you had parts on your table showing the knives oh taken yeah apart. and i that's yeah, when i realized I, you had actual uh stainless steel or whatever material as somewhat acting barriers so that way it doesn't rub on the carbon fiber which is I, what i was wondering about I'll tell you something else that I do on those knives that a lot of people don't do. Um, I heat treat the button and I heat treat, and a lot of people don't do this. I heat treat the pivot pin, the, the blade, the blade pivot pin. I mean, I don't understand why all solid, good tactical knives don't have heat treated. It's a, that's 440 in that because that's about the only you know, round bar, bar that I can get, but I heat treat, I heat because I mean, it, oh, that's the, that's the most wearing part of the whole knife, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the blade running around These days, that mo pin. Most of the pivots we get now are usually about four sixteenths and they're hard, yeah, I mean, but not as well as four forty would be. Yeah. They're, they're not, they're not hard. You, you can't harden four sixteen like you can four forty. That's for sure. Um, I mean, they, they are, but, uh, it's, it's not, it's not up into the, it's not up into the 50s, uh, Rock. Yeah, that's, that's, for, that's sure. for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get someone to make me some custom 440 uh, pins. Now, uh, I'll, tell you some, I'll tell you something else I do on the flipper that you should pick up on. The detent ball, the ball in the spring. You understand what I'm saying, right? The detent ball in the spring is tungsten carbide. It's not a chrome ball. It's tungsten carbide. Uh, you're talking about a chrome ball against a, a steel blade, and um, I don't, I don't like that. You get that tungsten carbide ball, which is the hardest, the hardest metal material basically that we have, and uh, it just polishes a nice groove, and it never gets a flat spot on it, so that when you take that blade and you hold it after your typical liner lock, you'll be able to move that up and down. You know, there's slop in it. Uh, very rarely will you have that in that uh, uh, with a car if if you drill the hole correct um, uh, with a with a tungsten carbide ball. Now, have you uh, messed around with ceramic balls? The, I'm sorry. Have you messed around using uh, ceramic detent balls? Yeah, you don't want to do that. I hear a lot of people that to me is a gimmick. Okay, uh, the, uh, ceramic is hard, but it's it's very very brittle. Okay, very brittle. Mm -hmm. So Most of the guys I, I, in our industry, they, they've been using ceramic lately. I've used ceramic for 10 years. Never really had one break, uh, except when I actually wanted to break it. 
Yeah. Uh, I've never considered using tungsten. I didn't know if they made those in ball bearings. I'll give it a try to compare it to the ceramic. But uh, I, I probably made only the first three knives in steel, and then, uh, then I discovered the ceramic right away. But uh, I'd assume the tungsten will be very similar and would outperform the stainless steel. Since now I don't, I don't use, I don't use tungsten on the the bearings. Okay, it's just too expensive to, and and you don't really need to. Um, the because uh, it's not under the pressure that the the spring is with the. Uh, with the liner lock spring, but I'll, I use chrome. I use chrome balls on the uh, bearing systems. Yeah, yeah. For the, I use that too. I'll build the knives with ceramic, so that way I can put the pressure on them and not deform them to wear everything in. But once I finish the knife uh, for final assembly, I'll switch them out for a fresh pair of chrome balls. On the I'll tell you system. something. I'll tell you a good little trick too for for liner locks like that if they're. If they're if they're not opening like they they really should, a lot of times it's not because you haven't designed them right. Every one of mine, because I bead blast the blades, and I bead blast the blades. One, it, it cuts all glare down and reflection, and it holds uh, it holds oil better too. Um, but at any rate, when that bead blast runs over the tungsten carbide ball, it's rough. It's real rough, and you don't get the smoothness. It takes a long time to actually break it in. But what I do when I first open them or when I first finish them is I'll, I'll close them and I'll spray a little WD-40 on both sides of that blade where the bearings are. And I'll open and close it, open and close it. And you'll see how smooth it'll get. You'll see how it'll all smooth up because you're actually wearing in a little bit of a smooth groove on the blade and it'll really tune it up for you. It's also real good if that if those knives ever kind of slow down because of uh, accumulation of stuff, whatever. Hit that with WD-40 and it'll wash it all out. That that's what I tell my guys in the field to do if it ever slows down. Yeah, fl flush out the um, the pivot area there, and then it keeps it nice and clean. Oh sure, yeah, keeps the rust out. I mean, it's stainless steel, but that's why they call it stainless. You know, it just doesn't rust as much as other things do. Right. <laughs> not staying free it's staying less yeah yeah <laughs> that's a uh yeah that's that's the 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 nomenclature on the stainless is pretty gotta get that a lot from customers it's like uh yeah gotta go over that a couple times just to make sure that it's it's clear it doesn't it's not completely rust proof it just doesn't stain as much exactly a lot in the heat treat too i mean you can have the best steel in the world we all know this you know but it's the heat treat that makes it Right, right, yeah. Oh man, that's uh, yeah. No, I, I, I dig it. I think the uh, yeah, I appreciate the the form and the function of of these knives, and they're very direct, uh, in their purpose. So I, I less I uh, I commend you on sticking with it, and not uh, don't listen to the casuals, but sticking with yeah. what what the users want. You know, that's that's what's important. We get a lot of we get a lot of knives that are you know, general purpose use, which is totally fine. So it's nice to see some knives that are sort of as the way they are is as the way they will be for the people who are actually using them. I agree. I agree. And, and like I said, I mean, that automatic isn't for everybody. Uh, and it's, I didn't make it for everybody. If I did, I, I wouldn't have a safety in it. There wouldn't be any learning curve in it, you know? And, and like I said before, there's some people that come up to the table that, I won't sell it to them. I just, you know, this knife isn't for you, buddy, you know? Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Okay. Hey, you know, that's that's all right. That's, you know, better better safe than sorry, right? I'm just doing them a favor. There you go. Um, let's see. Is uh, Let me think. Is there anything that we haven't gone over that you did want to go over? I can't think of anything. I would like to uh, push the guild, you know, the Knife Makers Guild. Uh, if you guys are out there listening and uh, you're building a quality knife and you want to get in an organization that can uh, help you uh, develop your skills or maybe your skills are far, far uh, past that, just the camaraderie and the uh, networking with these uh, these other members in the guild. We would love to have you. And uh, uh, you can find out the information that you need to, to, to begin probationary on the, uh, on the internet uh, and the Knife Makers Guild uh, website. It, it explains it all there. Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, meeting you and uh, getting you on board. That that is that is awesome. That is a, definitely a shout out to the to the Knife Makers Guild. Um, if you've been thinking about it, give them a shout out. Look them up. Um, I'm sure they're they're they there's a what's the best? Is there a website? There must be a Facebook. Yeah, there's a Facebook also, but the, the website uh, has downloading uh, all your applications if you need to. It shows all the members, uh, contact information, the bylaws, the dues. Uh, everything you really need to know. Oh, good. All right. So, guys, you know, if you're thinking about it, go check it out. Uh, the Knife Makers Guild is definitely one of the longest running and and influential organizations of of our of our industry. You know, a lot of a lot of famous makers are part of it now, and certainly have come and gone. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a that's a pretty a pretty legit organization to be to be attending and and to be in a probationary period with. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out. So now Les, um, you, and that's, that's the other thing we, we kind of briefed with this for you. You don't actually take orders for these knives, right? Like that's, you make a certain amount and that's sort of, that's kind of it. I, uh, um, I'll tell you what, I, I really don't sell a lot over, uh, uh, mail order. Uh, I'll tell you why I do. I probably do about a hundred knives a year. Uh, I do three or four shows, and at 24, I take 24 of those, the 12 and 12 of those particular two, to each one of those shows, and that pretty much uh, covers it. Um, I don't sell a whole lot to dealers. Um, uh, you guys, yeah. Um, is it okay if I put a plug in for another dealer? Sure. Uh, yeah, go for it. So, I, uh, uh, dealers like you and then one in particular, uh, Julie from Arizona custom knives. I'm sure you know her well. Um, absolutely. Uh, yep. She, she's been in the business a long time and I'll tell you what, the reason I sell to her is because she has kept, I mean, I don't really need to, you know, the, the knives sell, uh, but she has kept a lot of knife makers in business in hard times. So kudos out to her. Um, I think, uh, 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 she's really, uh, I mean, I know she's bought knives when she didn't really have to, or really maybe not wanted to, but knew that that knife maker, you know, uh, would really does need the help. And, uh, when, when, uh, when you have, when you have shops like yours and, 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 and hers, um, uh, uh, that, that keep these guys going, you know, 
that's who that's who I'd spend my money with. Um, yeah, no, that that definitely you know dealers. There's a there's a place in the industry for everybody, and and it's definitely you're absolutely right that uh, that there are some clinch some clinch hitters out there uh, who definitely roll in when when it's uh, when it's least expected, you know, and that's that that totally works. Yeah, shout out to to Arizona, you know, definitely been doing it for a while. So, but so that's the other fun thing. Uh, well, I don't know if it's fun. It's it's somewhat frustrating, but that's I I appreciate that. So, if you want some of Les's knives, you've got to try to get them. They are not an easy thing to get, so you have to travel to a show. A great reason to come to the gathering. Come to come to Blade Show. Once in a while, they do pop up on Arizona, but really, the the best place to find these is to come meet Les at a show. And, and is that is that fair? That's that is fair. And and again, you know, the the reason a, a lot of uh, the leftovers or whatever, I I do have a pretty good uh, uh, situation with uh, two government agencies. Uh, but at at the shows, the reason that I I practice this business model is, you know, you guys, you come to these shows, you spend a lot of money. These people that come to these shows, they spend a lot of money. They're just like me. You know, you've got airfare, hotel, the whole nine yards. And you know what? They should be rewarded for supporting us. And that's how I do it. That's as simple as that. That works. Yeah. Come to the show, win a prize, right? And that's that's the opportunity to buy an awesome knife. Like I said, I divide up the cost, you know, and, and uh, so they come to the show. And I'm sure there's a lot of other makers like that, too, um, that, uh, that to show their appreciation to to, to people that uh, go out of their way to support them. Right. Absolutely. Um, killer. Well, Les, that's a, uh, I, I really, I, I, once again, I really appreciate you, you coming on and, and talking with us tonight and going over, going over the specifics of these knives and, and hearing some, some cool stories from the, uh, from, from back in the day on the, <laughs> yeah. on the uh, with some cigarette boats and some bomb squad suits, man. That, that was uh that's that's pretty neat. I, I like that. that uh, yeah. That's some good backstories, for sure. Um, and then so so we'll be looking to see you at um, at Blade Show twenty twenty one then. Oh yeah, I'll be there. I'll be oh. there. Awesome table, table five L. <laughs> oh, there we go. See, okay. Oh, so yeah, that's right. Okay, perfect. Five L. All right. Um, great man. Uh, you know, in that case, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start wrapping up, and I'll uh, I'll thank everybody for listening to another great episode of the Bladeology podcast. Um, this has been a a cool one with uh, with Les Adams. This is Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. I'm signing off. This is Nick Cooperin of NCC Knives, and I'm signing off. Hey, watching Bladeworks. Les, I want to want to thank you again for coming on. No, thank you for the opportunity to meet you guys and uh, get to talk with you. I, I can't wait to see you guys again. I can't wait till Vegas comes around. We'll all go out and uh, break bread together, you know, and have a drink uh, with some of the other fellas, and uh, we'll make a good time of it. Works for me.